We all are well aware of choruses and verses. Almost all of us, every single song we've ever written, have verses and have a chorus. And probably for most of us, even bridges are something that we sort of just do automatically without maybe even thinking about it. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about some lesser used song sections. Let's talk about it. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Joseph Adala. Honored that you would take some time out of your busy day to talk songwriting with me. If you haven't already, be sure to pick up my free guide on the four pillars of music theory that I think every songwriter needs to know. We're going to allude to some music theory concepts in this episode. So if you're confused on what those are, that guide will teach you those things because... Look, I get that music theory can seem overwhelming. I get that if you go to a lot of websites that teach music theory, almost all of them look really boring and academic and it's all like like black and white design, right? There's no like, oh, here's a flavorful yellow and exciting colors. It's all like super drab, classical looking, which look, I get it. it. It seems intimidating and it seems like it's academic knowledge and for people who like drink tea with the pinky finger up or whatever. It's not. It's definitely not. I get that there's a weird vibe around it. Uh, but it's it's probably the single most practical thing you can learn as a songwriter. Um, and there's a lot of music theory out there. A lot or even most of it is actually very helpful for songwriting. But I think there's only four things that are absolutely essential and will instantly make you way more effective and efficient at songwriting as soon as you understand them, and that's keys, chords, chord progressions, and then intervals, which really the importance of intervals is that everything else, or most everything else, music theory that I think is important is built off of understanding intervals. Uh, That's sort of the most foundational of all. So it's only four things. Go check it out. Totally free. My gift to you for listening, for being here. Um, And I'm sure you will find it helpful. So go check it out. Don't don't fall for the false and ridiculous narrative that uh, music theory is just academic knowledge. The only people who say that are people who don't even know what music theory is, frankly, and certainly don't know music theory. I've never heard of someone who understands music theory and is like, oh, that's not useful to writing music. Like, th- th- nope, they wouldn't say that. It's so ridiculous. Nobody would ever say that. The people who say that are people who don't know music theory and they just want to defend the fact that they, if we're being honest, if we're being really honest, they're too lazy to learn it and they want to justify that, right? It's like, don't do not do that, right? If you want to be a songwriter and you want to take the craft seriously, you should learn how to write, you know, not necessarily learn to write poetry, but you need to learn to write lyrics, which is arguably the same thing. Uh, you certainly should be open to learning about, you know, poetic concepts and you should be wanting to get better as an instrumentalist. You should want to be all the different skills involved in songwriting. We should care about enough uh, to, to get better at it. But anyway, that's not the soapbox for today. Today we're talking about the less common song sections. Now I'm including pre-choruses in this and you may say, Joseph, pre-choruses are freaking everywhere. That is not a less common song section. And I hear that and I agree with you. The reason I'm including it is 
that I do find on like on the radio or on you know you know for normal songs that you and I would listen to, pre-choruses are very common and probably don't belong on this list. But I find via songs that people send me and uh, you know just just being around a lot of uh, songwriters that are maybe new at her songwriting, I've noticed that especially people new to songwriting really don't use pre-choruses very often. So that's why we're including it in the list because yeah, overall they're pretty, they're very common, um, but they are not very common, at least from what I've seen with newer songwriters. And a lot of you listening are probably newer songwriters. So we're including it on the list. So what is a pre-chorus? What's the fundamental idea of a pre-chorus? Because in order to know when to use something or if we should use something, we need to understand like, well, what is, what is the purpose? Why does this exist? Which frankly, you should know the answer to that for things like choruses and verses too. We should never just blindly be like, oh, songs have verses, choruses, and bridges. That's just what they have. Well, we should understand why, because then we know when not to follow that. It's kind of like uh, sometimes people's attitude towards rules, I think, I think is wrong, right? So some people say, and I think this is a good way to look at it, it's important to know the rules so that you can be educated about breaking them and break them intentionally. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, right? Because rules exist for a reason. If you have no rules at all, then it's just chaos and you might do something and not know why it doesn't work, right? But if you know the rules, then you know if you break the rule over here and it doesn't turn out so well, you're like, well, I did break a rule. Maybe I shouldn't break that rule. And then you might go back or, you know, it can, it's just one of those things that, that it's better to know the rules and then and then break them than to just be, live in a world of total chaos and anarchy where you don't know anything about anything uh, when it comes to whatever it might be, whether it be music theory, if we go back there, or song sections. So think of a pre-chorus as like cleaning the house before guests come. We all do it, right? Let's not pretend like, like almost no one is like, oh, guests are coming. I, you know, I'm just going to chill on the couch. We're not going to like panic and and have weeping and gnashing of teeth and make a big deal over like, oh my goodness, we have to clean the house because we have to pretend like our house is 100% clean all the time. Um, or I guess, you know, the other element is just you, you don't want to welcome people into a dirty house because you should be hospitable. But uh, regardless, your pre-chorus is kind of like that cleaning the house before guests come. If you already have a clean house, you don't need it, right? So if your verse already set up perfectly well for the chorus, which is when the guests come, then you don't need a pre-chorus. If your verse lyrically and musically leads into the chorus well, you don't need a pre-chorus. But if it doesn't, if your house is dirty, if your house is messy, if there's crap on your table, if there's literally like, uh, uh, what are those called? Tum tumbleweeds of cat fur going through your house because you have too many cats. Uh, some of you who have too many cats know exactly what I'm talking about. Then you need to you need to clean your house before guests come. So if your verse is not setting up well directly into your course, if there's an awkward transition that doesn't feel quite right from your verse into your course, that can be a sign that you need a pre-chorus. Ultimately, your pre-chorus needs to be subservient to the chorus. 
it it's notable. You might not have thought of it, but it is important to note. It's called a pre-chorus, not a post-verse, which should inform us on multiple levels, including that if you have a, a, a part, for example, you have a bridge, right? That goes back into a chorus. Because it's a pre-chorus, you might actually entertain the idea of, huh, maybe I should go bridge pre-chorus chorus instead of bridge right back into the chorus. Now, maybe not, just because you have a pre-chorus doesn't mean it needs to come before every chorus. But it's something that is more attached to and more subservient to the chorus than it is to the verse. Even though it's between the two 90% of the time, ultimately is something that needs to be primarily serving the chorus. And ultimately, I think there are two kinds of pre-choruses to think to think about possibly having. One is the sort of steps up pre-chorus. So if the energy of your verse is like a four out of 10, then the energy of your chorus is an eight out of 10, that pre-chorus can sit in the middle at that six out of 10, right? So you have verse energy, pre-chorus energy, and then chorus energy, right? That's very common, um, which can also help with voice leading. Uh, which voice leading is basically just, you know, if you're asking your vocalist to like just jump up by like an octave and a half between the verse and the chorus, that's pretty taxing on the voice. It's better vocally to be able to kind of warm into it. Uh, Katy Perry's Firework would be an, a very good example of of specific. Yes, I said something kind about Katy Perry and about pop music. It happens once in a while. But that pre-chorus is very effective at uh, voice leading. It literally gets her voice sort of from that more verse range, and she goes up and up and up until she's at that chorus range, just in time for the chorus. Uh, and then there's what I'm going to call a calm before the storm pre-chorus. Now, this is, if you're like me, and you really like that explosion into a chorus, and a chorus to feel absolutely massive, which is absolutely affected by how big the section before it comes, because lots of things are, are very relative, right? It's like why, in a movie, you can have just like two dudes beating each other up as the final fight be just as epic as some crazy overdone save the universe Marvel finale. And the reason that they can be just as exciting and epic, even though one is literally just two dudes beating each other up and the other one is saving the universe, you know, the stakes are way higher in one than the other. They can feel very similar uh, simply by, you know, the context that it came in. Um, so in the same way, how big our chorus feels is very much dictated by the context around it. So, so anyway, so let's say you have a verse that's a 6 out of 10 energy, and your chorus is a 7 out of 10 energy. You may say, well, that makes my chorus kind of feel underwhelming. Well, a great way to make it not feel underwhelming is if you have a pre-chorus that's a calm before the storm pre-chorus, as I'm going to call it, because it at least makes sense to me. Um so, so instead, your verse goes from a six energy and the pre-chorus goes all the way down to like a two or a three or a four or something, right? Maybe you remove instruments during the pre-chorus. Instead of building in the pre-chorus, you actually, you know, collapse and go back down. And it's, you know, your verse by the end had a bass and guitar and drums, but then the pre-chorus is just piano chords. That's it. And your voice singing. And then the explosion of the chorus is going to hit way harder than it would if you just went straight from the verse into the chorus. So I think those are the two main types of pre-choruses, right? One that steps up the energy, 
one that's that calm before the storm. It brings down the energy from the verse. That way the chorus can pop even more. Couple musical hacks. One, don't utilize a one chord. This is where the music theory is going to come in. Certainly don't start your pre-chorus with a one chord because then it might sound kind of like a chorus. So it might sound like, oh, this is the main point of the song. So if you're in C major, a great way to have an effective pre-chorus, a rule, if you will, a rule that if you understand it can be broken, but a good rule to start with is in your pre-chorus, don't use a one chord. So if you're in C major, no C major chords in the pre-chorus. Off of that, a great other rule is to end on a five chord. Now, this is especially a good rule to have if your chorus starts on a one chord, which very often it will, because the five chord into the one chord is the like most momentous transition you can have. Like as far as any cadence, that's that's the biggest one. The five chord is begging, begging to go to the one chord. Um, and I had a video that I believe came out recently uh, about the specifically the dominant chord, the five chord. So if you want to get into kind of the details on on why that is, uh, check out that video. Technically, that video is talking about how to spice up five chords. Uh, but I believe I talk about um, when talking about the dominant five chord, I talk about specifically why it is that a five chord and then specifically even more a dominant five chord really, really has a lot of tension that wants to be resolved into that one chord. But anyway, musical acts. Don't utilize one chord in the pre-chorus. End on a five chord. And then, I mentioned this before, but just again, can be utilized musically to help the singer with voice leading. So you can be intentional about like, hey, you know, my singer is in this vocal range in the verse and is in this way higher vocal range in the chorus. How do I get them to kind of start closer to that verse range, but then by the end of the pre-chorus to be close to the chorus range so that they're warmed into it so that they can uh, go on to sing the chorus and it not be a very difficult transition for them. So then it's lyrical role. If, for example, your verse was, I do so much for you, and the chorus is, you're so unappreciative, the pre-chorus should lay the small groundwork of why it is they're so unappreciative, right? Because me just saying I do a lot for you doesn't necessarily mean you're not appreciative of that. So if my chorus main point is you're so unappreciative, um, then the pre-chorus should, you know, ex ex give just a little detail as to why. How do we know that? You know, so, so the pre-chorus could be something like, but you don't even notice, do you? Or, but you hate me anyway. Or, but you left me anyway, right? This whole, if your verses are talking about how good of a lover, significant other you were, and then the chorus is how much that person sucks, you should probably explain like, wait a second, you just said you're so great, you treat them so well, and now you're just saying how much they suck? Like, what happened? <laughs> what happened here? But if you explain like, oh, but you, you were unappreciative and you broke up with me, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, this chorus makes sense now. So another way to see this is you can operate, you can utilize a pre-chorus as a short story-driven twist before the usually theme-driven chorus. 
we've talked about this before, but usually verses are story driven, right? That's where the, the main story of the song is taking place. And then your courses tend to be very theme driven. They, they, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they rarely involve story, but they're usually, you know, a, a theme. Whereas verses are telling a more personal story, right? So your, your, your verses might have this story of this horrible heartbreak you had, but then, you know, the, the chorus might be love sucks, right? That's a theme that love sucks. Or a theme would be, I'm better without you. Or I wish I never loved you at all. Those are all themes. They're not really story driven. The story would be, you know, you left me for someone else or something. So you can utilize that pre-chorus as a way to throw in this little bit more or a little twist or whatever of story-driven information before your theme-driven chorus comes about. So that's a pre-chorus. What about a post-chorus? Now, this is getting into actually fairly rarely used, especially outside of pop music. Pop music now is using post-choruses all the time. But still, it seems to me that most other genres have really not picked up post-choruses. And I kind of understand why based on the way they're utilized. Um, but regardless, I think post-choruses are kind of, uh, right now, you know, pop music is sort of leading them. And uh, e EDM, I think, really brought them to the forefront. And then EDM and pop have been sort of, there was that weird period where like EDM and like pop was all EDM and now it's in a place where like they've re-separated, but pop borrows a lot from EDM. Uh, at least that's my perspective on it. But anyway, the fundamental idea of a post-chorus is to keep the chorus party going on for longer, right? It's the chorus after party. It's you had a good time at, at this party with your friends and everything, the restaurant's shutting down or whatever. And you're like, Hey, you know, we're still in ha, have good stories, good talks. Let's keep this party going. Why don't we go over to my place and play Jackbox or whatever? Um, which Jackbox, by the way, is a great late night game with friends. If, if you haven't not, don't get the party pack one. The first party pack's the worst, but anyway, it's not a video game podcast, but there's a little PSA for you. Uh, it's also great if you want to play a game with, with friends that are far away because you can screen share and whatever. doesn't matter. Um, and ultimately, the post-chorus also is subservient to the chorus because, again, it's a post-chorus, not a pre-verse. Um, and something that I think you should consider if you do have a post-chorus is... Consider having the post-chorus not appear until after the second chorus. This is fairly commonly done, and I think there's several reasons for it. One is just the practical reason of every time you have any given song section, it adds time to the song, which is more time for somebody to lose interest in your song. So I think that's one element. Uh, another element is, and we've talked about this before, right? Let, let, let's take it. Real extreme. If you just have a song that is just verses and choruses, so you have verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. By time that first chorus is done, maybe a minute into the song, the listener will never hear something musically different again. Now, you may and almost definitely will and should change, you know, the arrangements a little bit, you know, maybe add more instruments for the second verse and then the third verse gets small and you maybe, you know, you didn't have acoustic guitar the whole song, but the acoustic guitar becomes the main instrument for that third verse or something like that. But ultimately the chord progression, the main musical ideas, the melody, all of that, they've heard, they will hear nothing new after that first chorus. 
Now, if we take verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, which is probably the most common song structure of all, then after that first chorus, they're only going to hear one section ever again that's different musically from what came before, not counting arranging again. But if you have a post-chorus that doesn't come about until after the second chorus, that helps make it so that you have your first verse, your chorus, all new so far. Now a second verse, you've heard this before. And a chorus, you've heard that before. But then you have a post-chorus, which is like, oh, this is new and different. And then maybe you have a bridge, and it's like, oh, another new and different thing. Which by the time you have two new and different things, now when it comes back to the chorus, which now you've heard three times, it'll be like, you know what? This is a, a welcome return to something I know because I just got spoiled with two things in a row that were different. Um, and you're not going to quite get that effect quite as much as if you have the post-chorus at the end of every chorus. Uh, so that's a very common thing to do. Consider holding off on that post-chorus. Also, if your song doesn't have a bridge, definitely consider holding off for the second time because then it's essentially replacing your bridge uh, as, as the thing that changes it up after that second chorus. Uh, for, for musical hacks, these aren't really hacks per se, but um, basically just keep the, the same chord progression from the chorus. Most of the time, a post-chorus shares the exact same chord progression from the chorus. Usually, it just takes that sort of chorus feel. It has the same energy as the chorus, right? It's the chorus after party, the chorus keeping the chorus party going longer. Um, but then, instead of a chorus, which usually has a fully fledged out lyric and melody, in a post-chorus, you are emphasizing specifically just a hook, which whether it's a vocal hook or just an instrumental hook, it usually is very hook-driven. When I talked about how really EDM seemed to bring this to the forefront and really brought it into pop music in a way that it wasn't quite as prevalent beforehand, uh, really the drop in EDM is essentially the same idea often as a post-chorus, right? So in a lot of EDM songs, especially... Before there was, you know, a, a verse, if you will, a chorus that often had singing as well in, in that chorus. But then that chorus music continued and then like some synth lead part would come in. That would be the main hook of the song after the chorus, which is essentially a form of post-chorus. So ultimately, your post-chorus should be kept simple. It's rare that you're going to have something new and insightful lyric-wise. It usually is very hook-driven, which is why I think it's so prevalent in pop and EDM music and not in in music genres that are less driven by a hook. Um, so keep it simple. Usually it's a, a very simple one-line hook that's repeated over and over. Um like Shape of You by Ed Sheeran, right? I'm in love with the shape of you or I'm in love with your, no, I think it's, I'm in love with your body, ooh-ah, 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 just repeated over and over. That's a vocal hook. Um, or Can't Stop the Feelin' uh, by Justin Timberlake. It it just repeats the main highlight of the song, the the also the title of the song, right? So that that one is I Can't Stop the Feelin', so just dance, dance, dance. I Can't Stop the Feelin', so just dance, 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 dance. So something very common 
to do is lyric wise, it will be either off of the very like core main lyrical idea, or it literally will be like the song title repeated over and over again, or something off of the song title, similar to the song title. Like, like in that example, right? Can't stop the feeling is the name of the song. And that post-chorus really drives home. Can't stop the feeling. So just dance, dance, dance. Can't stop the feeling. So just dance, dance, dance. Um, Charlie Puth's attention doesn't utilize attention. He just says, what are you doing to me? What are you doing? Huh? Over and over again. But again, it's a repeated hook. Um, and it is directly off of the, you just want attention main idea. So usually it has a very limited lyrical role. It's very rare. In fact, I'm not sure I've ever heard a post-chorus that has a notable lyric. It's usually more notable as a hook. And usually, you know, whether it has lyrics or whether it's a synth or a guitar is almost irrelevant because usually the lyrics are, you know, nothing to write home about anyway in a post-chorus. Uh, which I think is an opportunity for the rest of us that aren't writing pop music to be like, hey, there's this opportunity that post-courses have that hasn't really been taken yet uh, because it's been so hook-driven. And, you know, who's to say that it has to be that way? I don't think it has to be that way. So, post-chorus. Third verse, which you may say, Joseph, that's just a verse. Why, why are we talking about third verses? Well, this is another one that I feel like I just don't see that often with newer songwriters, so I figure it's worth spending a couple minutes to talk about it. So fundamentally, your third verse usually is, you know, the the section that's finishing out the story of your song. We've talked about this before, but in case you don't, maybe you don't pay attention to the YouTube channel or you're new here or whatever, um, a lot of times when you have a third verse, a good way to think of it is that it's your final act in a three-act story structure. Because you have, if you have three verses, it's a perfect opportunity to have a three-act story structure, which, yes, is mostly used in novels and in plays and in movies. Oh, wait, it's used for everything that has a story, basically. So if your song is telling a story, there's really no reason not to consider at least utilizing it that way. Another perspective you could have is this the you know the final movie of a trilogy right and overall your third verse you should see as that opportunity to deliver one final punchline because usually it's it's the last piece of lyrical information that you're giving a listener that they haven't heard before because very often it will be something like verse chorus verse chorus bridge verse chorus Right? And they've heard that chorus before. Most of the time, you're not changing up the lyrics in the chorus. So the last piece of information, that last mic drop moment you have is with the final lines of the third verse, which should not be underutilized. If there's one time to have a really impactful tat tattoo lyric, as I call it, uh, that is the time uh, as your final lines of your third verse. So usually a third verse comes after a bridge. Not always. Some songs like uh, the phrase how to save a life literally is just three verses, three choruses. Well, technically the chorus repeats a fourth time, I believe, but not really the point. We're not counting repetitions in this if they are the same section back to back. But it is effectively a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus structure, which um, seemingly 
was never that popular of a structure, uh, and that doesn't seem to have changed. I think there's a lot of good reasons for that. Uh, it's a lot harder to keep someone's attention with that because it's a, at that as we talked about before, right? That means after the first chorus, musically, you will hear nothing different as far as the main musical elements, which is the overall harmony and the melody. So usually if you have a third verse, it's after a bridge, which usually means that the bridge is not going to be a bridge that stays massive and then leads powerfully right back into a massive chorus. Usually instead, it will be something where the bridge dissipates sort of at the end and then the, the third verse comes in. And usually the third verse is as small as the first verse or even smaller sometimes. Now, when I say smaller, I mean like arrangement-wise, how the, the energy level, right? So if the energy level of your first verse was a three, usually the energy level of your second verse will be like a four or five. Your third verse is, I don't think I've ever, well, I shouldn't say ever, but most of the time a third verse is going to be then like back to a three or even lower, like a two. And then um, oftentimes, it will almost always start that way. Maybe I shouldn't say almost always, very often. But a lot of times, it, it, will, it, it will either do one of two things. It will either stay small and then explode for that final chorus, or it will stay small all the way through, or low energy, maybe I should say, but low energy sounds negative. Um, and it's it's not a bad thing. It's it's an intentional thing. Um, and then you have a small chorus or a small part of the chorus, and then an explosion. Rarely you have a just a, you end on a small chorus, and the song just ends small, um, never getting you know massive sounding again after the bridge. And then another common thing is you might have that bridge, it dissipates, you have a verse that's, your third verse starts small, but then it grows and instruments come back in. And then by the end of that verse, it's actually the biggest verse you've ever had, or the same energy that the second verse had by the end of it. That way it leads into that final big chorus in a way that is less of a sudden explosion and more of an inevitable explosion because you felt it growing towards it. Um, so overall, the lyrical role usually of your third verse is, again, that completion of the trilogy, the third act of a three-act story structure, an opportunity to, to really control how your song is left off story-wise. So are you going to have a vague conclusion at the end where it's left vague what really happened to the person or how the story ends, right? Maybe you want to leave it vague. Uh, a song that comes to mind is there's a song called Two Lights by Five for Fighting. And he actually ends the song on a verse technically to achieve this, which is also a common thing to do. Um, but the whole idea is you know, a, a guy who goes out on drives because he's worried about his son that's off to war. And he says to presumably his wife, like, hey, if you find out he's all right, if he calls and lets you know he's all right, uh, you know, just just turn on two lights outside, basically. And at the end, it just says, you know, as he turns the corner, his eyes burn, right? So the question is, does do his, do his eyes burn because there's tears in his eyes? Or because he sees two lights and it's dark and it burns, right? So, so it's left vague is, is the idea. 
Um, so that's one way to end it. You could end sort of the the uh, spinning top, if you will, um, from inception of song endings. You also could have a twist ending at the very end that changes everything so that by time when they hear the final chorus, they're like, oh, my goodness, this means something totally different to me now. Because, you know, this whole time I was like, oh, man, this poor, you know, this poor lady lost this person she loves and she's so sad and he probably broke up with her and all that. And then you find out, oh, no, she murdered him. <laughs> and now now the chorus hits differently. I know that got really dark. I'm sorry. But that would be an example of a twist, right? Um, or, you know, most often probably the ending you, – you deliver the ending that's been implied the whole time. That feels almost like it was inevitable. Are you going to end it in a happy way, a tragic way, intentionally underwhelming way? These are all things that you really need to think about with that third verse. And often if you have verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, and don't have a third verse, this role is usually fulfilled by the bridge. But when you have a third verse that's coming after your bridge, then the third verse usually fulfills that role. And then the bridge can sort of just operate as the, uh, usually it's the story climax of the song. The chorus is going to be the musical climax and the overall climax of the song. But usually, uh, as far as story-wise, the bridge will fulfill that role. So, finally, last one, coda. So, technically, a coda is just anything at the end of the song. It's Italian, I believe, for tail. So technically a coda, you know, a fade out of the chorus could even count as a coda. Uh, you know, uh, a small musical outro is a coda. You know, some some huge, you know, riff or musical part at the end outro that that ends on a powerful, you know, one chord boom and it just rings out. That's a coda. So basically just a coda is it, really it's a sheet music concept, really. So you'll see something like DC Alcoda and sheet music, and then you'll see the coda. So it's telling you, hey, after a repetition of this, go to the coda. But something I want to challenge you with is to consider ending your song on some something other than your chorus. Because I think this is another thing that people just default to. Like, oh, of course a song has to end on a chorus. And then once in a while they think they're being, you know, crazy out of the box by ending on a verse instead, right? Which is pretty common. You have that big final chorus and then you have like a half verse to end or something like that. In fact, the two light song I was alluding to, I believe that's how that ends. I don't know why I said alluding to, the one I was talking about by Fire for Fighting. Go check it out. That whole album's quite good actually. But something I want to challenge you with is who says that you can't end your song with something totally different? In fact, I think a lot of people don't realize this, but in in the song Don't Stop Believin', you know, one of the biggest songs ever that everyone knows just by being alive on the planet, you could have crawled out of a rock for the first time in your life yesterday, and you probably still know this song. And that song's quote-unquote chorus, or what people think of as a chorus that I would argue is not a chorus, uh, I have a whole video I, or podcast, I believe, breaking down why, but we won't get into that here. Um, it doesn't come until the end of the song. You have like three and a half minutes of song before it gets to the don't stop believe and hold on to that feeling part. It waits until the end of the song, and then it repeats at the end of the song, but that doesn't matter. It it That section 
does not come after your verse. It doesn't come after anything except the final part of the song. So, which is why I don't understand why people consider it a chorus. Like based on some of the basic definitions of a chorus, it's it's not. There is also elements of it that are very chorus-like, right? It's the emotional, you know, highlight of the song. It's the peak of the song. So so I get why. But, um, and then another song that that I really love is Carnival Carnival of Rust. I can speak by Poets of the Fall. Um, which they also have a section at the end that's really big and really interesting um, and really cool, and yet it didn't happen at all in the rest of the song, and it ends on something that is just totally new. So things like that are what led me to be like, hey, why why is it that we are in such a box that we think, oh, we got to end a song on a chorus or once in a while on a verse? Why can't we have something that's like a bridge a brand new song song section, but it happens at the end of the song and that's it. And then I'm like, well, yeah, what if what if then that's the actual peak of the song? In fact, I would argue that's what Don't Stop Believing does. You have, you know, a lot of people label it that it's a verse pre-chorus, verse pre-chorus, instrumental section chorus. That to me is like, no, that means it's it's probably a verse, a chorus, a verse, a chorus, that musical interlude, and then a finale, a grand finale, this, this idea at the end that has not been there previously in the song. Calling it a chorus when it, 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 it doesn't repeat throughout the song just seems like, well, how is that a chorus then? Fundamental part of a chorus is something that like, happens more than once. And I don't mean just like repetitions back to back. I mean, like, you know, you go to a chorus, then you go back to another song section, then you come back to the chorus. It's a very fundamental part of really what a chorus is. So ultimately what I want to hit on with this coda part is get creative with it, right? I I have a video, if you're curious, I believe I've mentioned it on the podcast as well. So if you're more interested in what I mean by a finale and how I define a finale, given that it is it kind of is borrowed off of the idea of a grand finale and a finale that exists in classical music, but I've kind of made it a modern song section in the way that I define it and look at it and how I use it and write it um, when I utilize them in my songs. But ultimately I see it as a, Hey, a lot of movies, in fact, any, any movie, right? There isn't really like a separation of story and theme. It's all together. Right. But in songs, we have that kind of weird, um, you know, very often verses and bridges are talking about story. And then the theme sometimes is sitting all by itself in the chorus. So it's very, which then results in a song that's very theme driven. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm like, man, a lot of stories or pretty much any other story is they're, they're, they're connected. They're all together. There's no separation of theme and story. And that allows a story to end on a story element, right? Like any movie ends on something story-driven, right? The final battle against the bad guy or, 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 or you know, the afterword of like, hey, after the hero defeated the villain, here's he's happy now. Look, he has a family, yay. Whatever it might be. So why can't we have that in our songs? Why do we have to end on some thematic chorus? Now, 
if your course isn't theme-driven and story-driven, well, that's one way to solve the issue. If you change lyrics every course, that's another way. Ending on a verse is another way. But why can't we end on a song section that is like the final fight against the bad guy, an epic finale, right? A, a thing at the end that's like, oh my goodness, that was massive. Not to mention, not to get too sales pitchy on the idea of the finale. I just love when you have something super climactic and then like it's it's done and it doesn't repeat and then you kind of leave the people wanting more like, oh, that was awesome, which is effectively what they do in every concert, right? Every concert, they save their biggest hit for last and that makes you want an encore, right? Or they do it during the encore, which is how you know the encore is coming. And that's how they make it so that nobody leaves the concert thinking, you know what? I'm kind of glad it was over. I, I was ready for the concert to be done because they just did their biggest hit at the end, which leaves you with this feeling of, oh my goodness, that was amazing. I don't want it to end. So why can't we do that within our song and have the main highlight of the song, the main peak of the song, the most exciting part of the song at the very end, and then let the people be like, man, that was awesome. I kind of wish I heard that more than once, but I guess I got to listen to the whole song again. Um, overall, I think the more compelling way to think through it, though, is what can it do for your story in the way that you tell the story in your song? It has so much potential to change up the way that you write songs and the way that you reveal things in songs, right? Because then the finale can operate as this very epic final twist reveal at the very end and then boom, song is over that you can't really get when you're ending with the chorus. All to say, when it comes to a coda, which, I, which is a very general term, just think about different types of codas you could have, whether that be a finale or whether that be just something that's instrumental and how that can affect your song. Really think about the details. Don't just take for granted like, oh, my song ends on a chorus and that's it. Or, oh, my song ends on a chorus and then goes back to the piano riff that I had for the first verse and then it just fades out and it's done. Nothing wrong with either of those things. Just another thing for us to not take for granted and for us to challenge. This is going way longer than I intended, so we're going to keep the refrain part very short. Go check out the video I have on the YouTube channel on a chorus versus a refrain, because that will give you some background to why I'm talking about a refrain here. And you might think, oh, a refrain is the same as a chorus. It's not technically all choruses would be refrains, but not all refrains are choruses. But ultimately, usually when we use the term refrain now, we're referring to specifically what usually is a repeated part that's usually like at the end of every verse. So for example, if you take check out like The Times They Are Changing by Bob Dylan, there is no chorus in that song. But what gives his song an identity and an obvious title in The Times They Are Changing is there's like four verses in that song, I think, maybe five. But every verse ends with the line, the times they are changing. That's what gives the song the identity. The title comes from it. That's the main idea of the song. And it's just one line that just repeats at the end of every verse. And honestly, it seems to me that the art of the refrain has almost completely died. And I get why, because in some ways, choruses have replaced the role of a refrain. But you can have a, a chorus and also have a refrain. And then some songs might not need or maybe even shouldn't have a full chorus. So instead, you could utilize a refrain. So another thing 
worth thinking about is the possibility of maybe utilizing a refrain once in a while. It really gives you a way to um, sort of rhyme your verses. And when I say rhyme, I don't mean an actual literal rhyme where the ends of the words sound the same, but rhyming in a more story sense, right? It, it gives some parallelism. It gives some, you know, blah, 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 blah. The times they are changing, blah, 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 blah. Point two, the times they are changing. Point three, the times they are changing, right? It gives you that repetition that makes a point. Because if you say something once, it usually doesn't make a point of it. Repetition is what shows that something is important. You repeat it. And now you're thinking, yes, we know, because you repeat yourself way too often in this podcast sometimes, which I probably do that sometimes. You're right. I'm sorry. So this podcast has gone long, so we're going to call it there. Hopefully this was helpful to you. Again, be sure to check out that free guide if you haven't already, songwritertheory.com slash music theory guide. Figure out what the heck I mean by one chord and five chord and dominant chord and all that stuff. And learn more important music theory concepts. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. And I will talk to you in the next one. <laughs>